All right, Genesis chapter number 9 in your Bibles this morning. Genesis chapter number 9, as we've been studying in the beginning. What has the world gone through to make it look the way it looks today? What, well, what is all the things that has happened? Where did we come from? Boy, how have, how have things changed? And we've talked about all the way back in the beginning, we've gone through the days of creation, and then uh, we've seen how, how the world grew to be wicked continuously. You know, I had an intriguing thought not too long ago. Have you ever wondered what the world would have looked like if there, was no, if there were no churches, if there were no witnesses, if there were no Bible, if there were no people that actually sought after the Lord, if mankind just kind of did what they wanted to do? If you're ever curious about that, Read the first few chapters of Genesis because you've got to think all the way leading up to Noah. Noah was the last righteous man on the face of the planet. Folks, they lived in a world where there was no Bible. They lived in a world where there was no established order of their religion. Everything was just by word of mouth. They would make their sacrifices as the way their fathers had taught them to do. And people chose to deny the things of God. And it was all the way down to Noah. One last man. And so then last week we talked about how, uh, how we, talk, we talked about the actual story of the flood, how it was a historic thing, how Noah, how, how when he was 600 years old, man, this old man, how he built this ark. And inside the ark, he was able to fit all the animals that needed to be there. And we talked about a lot of historic stuff of it. If you remember, we talked about how Noah, he wouldn't have had to fit two of every single kind of animal within the ark. I mean, we use the example of a dog. Right now in my backyard, I've got a bloodhound and I've got a husky. And you can breed all kinds of different dogs to have uh, different new types of dogs. But Noah wouldn't have had to have uh, two types of wolves, two types of bloodhounds, two types of huskies or what have you. He would have just needed two dogs. He just would have needed two horses. He just would have needed two of every sort. That's what the Bible says. He got two of every sort of animal. And from that, things have bred and changed to the way they are today. So we know that Noah, we believe historically this is something that happened. All across the world, we see evidences of a worldwide flood. We talked about how even in the Grand Canyon, there are marine fossils a mile above sea level within the walls of the Grand Canyon. There are lots of evidences that point towards a worldwide flood. And so now we come to the end of that. We talked about how at the end of chapter 9, once the waters, uh, they, they, they kind of fled away, they, they, um, they froze into the polar ice caps, and how the water had went back into the ground. Because remember how we studied that the fountains of the deep, the Bible says, opened up? That means all the waters that were underneath the ground as well. It wasn't just the rain. It was the water under the ground as well began to spew up. You see that right over here in Yellowstone. All the molecules of water across the face of the planet turned into the actual water itself and covered the face of the world. And now they subsided in God. He put a rainbow in the sky. He said, look, I'm going to make a promise. God said, never again am I going to destroy the entire face of the world with water. He said, I'll never use a worldwide flood to do that again. And I make that promise to you. Now, every time we see the rainbow, that's what the rainbow is. That rainbow is a symbol of a promise of Jehovah God himself. And what a wonderful sign that is. And so now what we're going to be coming to is this. I want you to imagine yourself in the boat. <laughs> and I mean that with no pun intended. But I want you to imagine yourself in the boat of where Noah was in, in the kind of in the place of his life, so to speak. Imagine you were the one that was in that ark and you were in that ark for all those days and weeks and months and you were in there with all those animals and it was just you, your three kids, 
your children's wives and your wives, and if at the end of it you haven't killed each other at the end of it all, because we all know how Christmas goes, right? At the end of it, if you've survived the trip with your family, and then you finally landed and the water's gone, you step out of the boat, and you start to see green things starting to, starting to bud, and you look around, and you're almost kind of wondering, well, where am I? Where are we now? You know, what, are, what are we going to do? How, how have things changed? And quite literally... You're the only family on the face of the planet. You ever had that feeling where you've walked into a house and you're in the house by yourself and suddenly it's quiet? Maybe I have that feeling because I have two kids and usually it's kind of loud. But if I'm in my house by myself, it's just like, wow, it's quiet. And folks, that's what was going on with Noah and his family. It was him and his three children and their family. And that was that was it. And so here they were, the last remaining people on the face of the planet. Which, by the way, that gives us something to think about. Do you realize today that you are a descendant of Noah? You, you, you come from him. You came from Noah and from probably one of his three kids. We don't necessarily know which one unless your family has done a great job of genealogy tracking. We come from either Sham, Ham, or Japheth. That was his three children, Sham, Ham, and Japheth. So now here they were, and we find out the first thing that Noah done, the Bible says that he built an altar to the Lord. Man, he wanted to honor God for preserving righteousness, for taking care of his family. Remember, it wasn't that God was trying to be a cruel God. It's that there was only one family left who was willing to be a righteous and just family. The Bible says everyone else on the face of the planet, every thought that they had was wickedness continually, the Bible says. They had all decided to turn their ways from the Lord. So the ark was a way of preserving the truth. It was a way of preserving goodness. So here they were, and they were all alone. And today, we are going to talk about the second first family. The second first family. And here's why we say that. We know Adam and Eve, they were the first family. But now that everyone else was gone, well, there's a first family once again. There was only one family left, and that was the family of Noah. And folks, here's what we're going to see. We're going to find out today. We're going to see some things through the life of Noah. And we're going to take his family, and we're going to apply it to our own lives. Because I want you to think of this. Have you ever heard the term, and it gets tossed around quite a bit today, but have you ever heard the term a dysfunctional family? You know, I think probably all of us would probably look at our own selves and say, oh boy, we have a dysfunctional family. You know, you get home from, uh, from Thanksgiving dinner and you say, oh boy, we have a dysfunctional family, you know. And when we kind of look at ourselves that way and we see how we have problems and how we mess things up, and here's what we need to see, and, and why, why I even talk about that. We look at people in the Bible, and sometimes we see, see them as some kind of giant figure of faith. Oh, this was, this, this was a holy person. Boy, if we, were able to, if we were able to see Noah, he would have had a, a halo around his head, and he just would have exhumed righteousness. Folks, he was a man just like you and me. He was flesh and blood just like you and me. He had problems in his family just like you and me. There was sin in his family, just like you and me. Now, God chose to preserve his family because his family still believed in God. But just because they believed in God did not mean they were perfect. Just because they were what we would, we would kind of identify as a Christian family doesn't mean that everything in their home was just okay and was great. And was wonderful. So we're going to learn a few things about that today. We're going to see how even those that are righteous, they can have what we would say is a dysfunctional family. Let's go ahead and start reading here in verse number 18. 
of Genesis chapter number 9. Genesis chapter, I'm sorry, let's go ahead and look at 17. Genesis chapter 9, verse number 17, we'll begin our reading. And God said unto Noah, This is the token of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is upon the earth. That was the, that was the rainbow. And the sons of Noah that went forth of the ark were Shem and Ham and Japheth. And Ham is the father of Canaan. By the way, that's important because you, you know that name Canaan? Have you ever heard of the Canaanites? You ever heard of the people that Israel had to go to war with in order to get their land? Yeah, that was them. That was these people. It's an important thing. We're going to come back to it. So Ham is the father of Canaan, who later became his family, the Canaanites. There are three sons of Noah, and of them was the whole earth overspread. So from the three sons of Canaan, the entire earth became overspread. Now, I'm going to take another brief side note right here, just, just because... There are some people that believe that there are three, and, and it's hard to prove this because it's not in the Bible, and some people are much better with science than I am when it comes to this thing. But there are some people that believe there are three main races, I guess you could say, of people. Uh, now, we, we understand there are different, uh, different countries and different regions, but technically when you look at people, you can three, see three different types of people. There are the white there are the tan, and there are the black. Now, we're all humans, but there are the three different ones. There are some people that believe that those three can all be found within Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And when they spread throughout the world, they went to the different regions. That's where they come from. Otherwise, some people believe that God mixed them up differently when it comes to the Tower of Babel. And we'll get there in a couple different and a couple different uh, uh, services. But I just wanted to go ahead and present that with you now because what we do know, though, based off of Scripture, verse number 19, that the whole earth was overspread by the sons of Noah. Folks, we all came from the sons of Noah. So verse number 20. And Noah began to be an husbandman, and he planted a vineyard, and he drank of the wine and was drunken. And he was now uncovered within his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brethren without. And Sham and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were backward and they saw not their father's nakedness. And Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done to him. And he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. And God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. And Noah lived after the flood 350 years, and all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. Our Lord, I pray that you would help us to adequately understand the scriptures today. Lord, we realize that from the Bible, we know that the men in God's word, uh, they're not anything particularly special. They're men, flesh and blood, just like we are. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to apply their lives to us. I pray that we would be able to take things that are found in the scripture and use them. And, and Lord, I pray that we would learn from them so we may better ourselves for you. We love you, Jesus. And it's again in your name we ask these things. Amen. Well, folks, here's what we're getting ready to see. The number one, the, the first point I wanted to simply make was this, is that we saw that there is now kind of a new human, quote unquote, I guess race maybe is the word we would say. Folks, everything is coming from Noah. This is where it all started. And here's, here's the thing that some people get, get hung up on. That we would say, oh, within, within the humans, there are three different races. There are three different types of humans. 
Folks, I want to tell you, there's not three different types of humans. I realize that sometimes our skin is different, the way we look is different, and sometimes the, the, the way we talk is different. But the fact is, we are all descendants of Noah. All of us. So when, when someone would say, oh, there are three different races. Now, I guess maybe with our American word, the way we use race is we usually term that based off of you know, skin color. But really when it comes to actual type of people, never forget there is not different types of people. We are only one race. We are the human race. That's it. And when, when it comes to things in the Bible, remember that word, that, that, that law that we kept coming back to after his kind? How only horses can reproduce after the kind of horses. You know, only monkeys will ever reproduce into anything else other than monkeys. Fish will always be fish. Dogs will always be dogs. Humans will always be humans. There are not different types of humans, okay? Folks, we are all of the same race. We are the human race. And by the way, when God talks about humans and who they are, he says that we are all made in the image of God. All of us. It's not like he's, he takes one group of people and says, okay, my Jewish people, you are made in my image. No, the Bible didn't say that. The Bible says that God made man in his image. That's mankind. That is all-encompassing. That is all of us. So it's important for us to realize and to understand that, that, that while throughout the world today we realize there's that sometimes between races there are prejudices and there are, uh, there are differences and there's bigotry. I want to tell you a big one we see in the Bible is against the Samaritans. The Samaritans were a half-breed between Jews and Gentiles. There was God's people, the, the Israelites, and then there were those that, well, those that weren't. And they were told, hey, you're not supposed to mix races. And there was this town of Samaria and kind of in between the two. And they would mix and they were half Jew and they were half Gentile. And boy, they were hated by everyone. And then the Bible gives us a story about the Good Samaritan who was better in his righteousness than really both of them. Folks, it's not that there, is, there should have been any, any prejudices when it comes to races and things like this. We are all part of the human race. We all come from Noah. We all come from Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And what we're going to learn with that is we're going to continue on. We're going to see here that also with Noah, I want to show you the first thing that he did in this passage of Scripture. Look at verse number 19. There are the three sons of Noah, and of them was the whole earth overspread. And Noah began to be a husbandman, and he planted a vineyard, and he drank of the wine... And he was uncovered within his tent. Now, remember how we talked about how within the Bible we see people that, uh, that, that do things, they live, they live lives, they have problems, they have struggles, they have victories, they have losses. When we read men in the Bible, never forget that they are men just like we are. And so what we see here, and there's a lot of debate as to over why this happened. But what Noah did, he got off the ark, he began to look around, he says, well, what am I going to do now? Well, after he built his altar, the first thing that he did, well, he, he, the Bible says that he planted a vineyard. He began to grow some grapes. Man, he, he planted this vineyard, and, and man, the thing started to grow, and, and this was great. He's going to be a husbandman, and we know he lived for 300 years, so he would have had a lot of time to do it after the ark. He began to grow, and here's this, here's this grapevine. Here's these vineyards, and he begins to pluck off of it, and the Bible says that he made wine. And it's very interesting to see that the very first time that wine is mentioned in the Bible, Noah, this man of God, got sloppy drunk with it. Here he is, and look at his state. He drank of the wine and was drunken, and he was uncovered within his tent. 
Folks, I want to tell you, it's very interesting to see that the very first time that wine is ever mentioned in the Bible, it's mentioned in a way such as this that, that, that gives us the negative content and what drunkenness can do to a person. Folks, I want to I want to tell you, we I think we all understand and we all see just how far wine and how far alcohol can take a person to go. It can take and it can ruin a person's life. It can cause them to lose control of themselves in ways that in ways that a normal person would never think. And, and I say this with, with, in a sense, almost with a broken heart. Tori and I, the other day, we were, uh, we were in town, and I don't know, I'll give you all the details, but there was a man that was in this parking lot where, uh, where, where her and I were getting ready to go shop. And we could, we could immediately tell there was a man there who was incredibly, incredibly heavily t- intoxicated. And he was literally throwing himself in front of our vehicle as we were trying to drive through the parking lot. And, and he, you know, we, we could just tell by the way he was acting, he was even showing us his, you know, his alcohol and things. And so I was trying to put it in reverse to get away from him so he wouldn't get injured on our vehicle. And I'm looking at myself and I'm thinking, look how much loss, or look how much this man has lost control of his own thoughts, of his own actions. And folks, this is what we see the very first time that Noah begins to drink of the wine that he had made. The Bible says that he was drunken and he was uncovered within his tent. He wasn't wearing any clothes. So Noah lost all sense of what we would believe to be control over himself. Because you know what's interesting? The Bible says Noah was a righteous man. The Bible says Noah was, man, he was upright. Noah was the man that, that, that God preserved. Hey, I'm going to go deal with the rest of the world. Noah, you're going to be the one that repopulates the rest of the world because, because man, you were the righteous one. How is it that we now all of a sudden see Noah in such, such a low state? Because of how much of the loss of control he had that this alcohol took away from him. Now, there are some people that would say this. If you believe what well, we talked about, the canopy theory. Okay, we, we, I think we talked about this a little bit. This is where we believe that there was a completely different climate at that day. That the whole world was like a giant greenhouse. Because the Bible says that when, you know, the, uh, when the flood came, that there were waters that fell from heaven. Some people believe there's a giant bubble around the world, as in like a greenhouse. There's a water vapor. Uh, we already have an atmosphere. It was just an additional layer. So with that, there are some that believe that those, when those waters fell, that's what changed things. That's why people lived to be 900 plus years. That's why the dinosaurs could no longer live under this new climate. And if you believe that, there's some that also say, yeah, well, Noah made grace under the old climate. It wouldn't have ever turned alcoholic, but now it does because of the, the pressure of the world and things. You know, could that be? Maybe. The Bible doesn't tell us. But what the Bible does say is this, that a righteous man planted a vineyard, drank of his wine, and now he has gotten drunk. Folks, the point I want to make is this, and this is one I think we can all relate to. Just because a man is what we would call a Christian, just because a man is someone that is righteous, just because a man has a walk with God, does not mean this man is perfect. It does not mean that this man is going to live a sinless life. It does not mean that he is going to be the model of Christ himself. Folks, Jesus was the only one that ever did that. The Bible says that when he was here on the earth, he fulfilled the law. That means all the laws in the Old Testament, he lived them out. Every single last one of them. I I can't tell you how many times I have failed that. And so what what that means for us is is we can't can't get a picture of of who we think Christians ought to be and, and, and how they ought to live. A person is not a Christian because of what they do. A Christian does the things they do because of who they are. 
I want you to think about a football player. You know, I used to play football when I was, when I was younger, and I love football. And I usually, I usually say this, I like football because I got to hit people and I didn't get in trouble for it. It was fun. And, you know, it was, it was a great thing. Now, if I were to go and go on, say, Amazon, and I were to type in and I wanted to buy, uh, you know, a Denver Broncos jersey, and, and, you know, they were to send me a Denver Broncos jersey. And, man, they sent it to me. And then I went on there and I ordered some shoulder pads. And then I ordered, you know, my knee pads and my thigh pads. And, and I ordered a Denver Broncos helmet. Now, if I were in my room standing in front of my mirror and I wanted to dress up like a Denver Broncos football player, does that make me a Denver Broncos football player? No. In fact, if I were to step on the field, they would probably laugh at me and say, what is this dummy doing here, right? Just because I put on the uniform doesn't make me anything. Folks, we have to remember, just because I put on the uniform of a Christian, that does not make me a Christian. Now, think about this. Now, if we were to go to Denver, Colorado, to the Mile High Stadium, and we were to go in there and see some of those men that actually play for the team, they are Denver Broncos, whether they're wearing the uniform or not. And then they put on the uniform because of who they are. Folks, that's what we do as Christians. We are not Christians because we put on the Christian uniform. We act the way we do because of who we are. That's what we have to remember about the way that we act as Christians. We do the things we do because of who we are. So, so it's hard for us to look at some of the actions that other people take and judge based off of what they do. Folks, what the Christian is is what's on the inside within his heart. Now, that should be coming out. We understand that we should act a certain way. There are certain things that we should and should not do because of who we are. But just like Noah, we're not going to be perfect. People are going to sin. Remember the whole dysfunctional family thing? Yeah, Noah himself, the last righteous man on the face of the planet that God chose to preserve, he still wasn't a perfect man. And so we, we get this thing where what we do is when we... I don't know why we do this. Actually, I guess I kind of do. Part of it's going to be because of Satan. When we mess up, don't we like to beat ourselves up over it? Yeah. When we do something wrong, doesn't Satan like to rear his head and say, oh, yeah, look at what you did. And, man, you call yourself a Christian? Really? You call yourself a child of God? Man, I could just imagine after Noah awoke from his wine, and we're going to talk some more about what happened here in a little bit, when he came off of his drunken stupor and he woke up, I almost wonder in my head if, if Satan wasn't there saying, yeah, Noah, look at you. You think God was really right when he chose you to be the last one? The Bible calls Satan the accuser of the brethren. He's the guy that's going to be sitting there pointing fingers at this and this and this and this. When Jesus, he says, hey, it's already under the blood. It's already been forgiven. You already have forgiveness. The moment that you became a Christian because of Jesus Christ shed blood on the cross, it was already forgiven. And if we've accepted that, it's done. I can't wait till next Sunday, Easter, when we talk about that. Folks, there are not going to be any perfect people. So Noah, we see he was the first recorded person in the Bible to have wine. And with that wine, he got drunk. And there were some very awful things that happened with it. Folks, we're going to see that he, uh, Abraham, uh, Abraham, Noah, when we see his dysfunctional family, while he was a man that wasn't perfect himself, he was also a man that had some children that were very foolish. He was also a man that had some children that were very foolish. Folks, it's hard to take a look at a family and to judge how good of a job a parent is doing based off the actions of their grown children. And here's what I mean by that. We can never forget that, yes, while my children are in my household, the Bible has given me responsibility to see what they do is right. 
But when those children are grown and they're making decisions of their own, the Bible talks about how they are going to have to give an account for the things that they do. Uh, It's hard to see what... Let's just go ahead and look at the scripture. This is what I'm getting at. The Bible says in verse number 22. So where did we leave off? Noah, he he was sloppy drunk. He was in his tent. He wasn't wearing any clothes. Verse number 22. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brethren without. And Sham and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were backward, and they saw not their father's nakedness. Now stop there. So what was it that happened? So Noah, he was all alone. He was in his tent. He was in his drunken stupor, apparently enough to at least know what was going on, but was very inebriated. And so he was there, he was in this tent, and Ham, he gets the idea, he wants to go looking for dad, and, and he, so he comes into dad's tent, and of course he sees dad in the state that he's in, and then the Bible says that he runs, and he goes tells his other brothers, hey, hey, Japheth, man, I, I, want, I, want, you, I want to tell you, man, Japheth, Sham, listen, dad, he's over here in the tent, and he's, he's not acting right, man, he is out of it, and he's, he's not wearing any clothes, and and so the other two brothers, not Ham, Sham and Japheth, they said, okay, well, we need to protect the dignity of our dad. So the Bible says that Sham and Japheth, they took a blanket and they kind of, they kind of threw it up over their shoulders and they knew dad was in there. So out of respect for their dad, they threw it up over their shoulders and they kind of walked backwards where dad was and then they kind of threw the blanket over him because they cared about the dignity of their dad. They loved him. But notice the phrasage of the next scripture. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, this is verse 21, and told his two brethren without. And Sham and Japheth took the garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were backward, and they saw not their father's nakedness. Now watch verse number 24. And Noah awoke from his wine. So it could have been he, he fell asleep and he was, he was now awake and he was no longer uh, drunk in the way he was. And knew what his younger son had done to him. And he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, that he uh, be unto his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. And God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. So here's what happened. We see Noah, he wakes out of his wine, he sees the blanket that's over them. And the Bible says he remembered what happened with Ham. Now, immediately, Noah starts passing out blessings and curses. And by the way, this, this isn't a, a discussion necessarily on this, but at this time, there was something to a father blessing and cursing his children. Could it have been with inheritance and other things as well? Probably so. But what we do know is that he woke up and he realized what had happened. I guess he had, even though he was in his drunken state, he was still awake enough to remember it. And then he looks and he thinks about what Ham done. He said, there's going to be a curse upon Ham's family. Ham's son was Canaan. Remember the Canaanites? There's going to be a curse upon Ham's family. And, and Sham and Japheth, boy, they honored me. They did right by me. They're, but they're, they're going to be blessed. They're going to do well. But, but boy, the family of Ham, Canaan, that family, they're going to be the servants of Sham and Japheth. And then I think to myself when I first read this, that seems kind of harsh, doesn't it? I mean, if, if, a man, if a man's son, if he were just to walk in and all of a sudden, oh, man, he sees what's going on with dad, then he runs to get help. Is that really something that would be worthy of, of such an awful curse? Well, folks, without going into very much detail, I want to be as discreet as I can when I say this. Look at specifically what the Bible says in verse number 24. 
And Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done to him. There's something very specific that the Bible is alluding to. And I hate arguing from silence, but I want to bring out some points with this. The Bible says he knew what his younger son had done to him. Folks, that would lead us to believe in what most people understand when they read this. There was some kind of assault that was upon his dad from his son. Well, 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 man, that's kind of a pretty heavy accusation, preacher. Where do you get something like that from? Well, if you continue to study the life of Canaan, throughout the life of Canaan and what happened from him, from the family of Ham, you end up seeing all the Canaanites that Israel had to go into defeat, and from his family as well came both towns of Sodom and Gomorrah. So could that already be alluding to us the assault that Ham did upon his father? Possibly so. Because it wasn't just that Ham walked in and saw his dad. There is no way that something so unjust of a curse like that would be upon his son just because of what he saw. Folks, the Bible specifically says Noah awoke and knew what his younger son had done to him. Something was done to his dad. No, uh, this, this son, Ham, had done something physically to his dad. So, folks, what we understand is this. And again, I'm relating this back a little bit to family. We see that this was the family, again, that God protected. This was the family that God called righteous. This was the man that God said, hey, I am going to establish a covenant with you. I'm going to take care of you. And then we see these things happening within his family. Man, how in the world could such a thing happen? Because once again, righteous families are not perfect families. Christian families are not perfect families. Folks, just because there is a family who wants to do right and is trying and is, and is seeking after the Lord doesn't mean everything is going to be 100% perfect within the homes of their house. And we can't, we, we can't get that idea in our head that, oh man, they're a church-going family. They just must have everything perfect. Because when we do that, when we think about just how perfect and wonderful everyone are, then all of a sudden we find a little marker, a little stain upon their life. <gasps> how could that be possible? How could that happen? It, it rocks our world because we're not seeing them as just the people that they are. We often hear the story about Noah and the ark. Man, and I love that story, how God, he did this wonderful thing. But we usually don't look at the rest of the story. We don't usually see the rest of the story how he was just a normal man who, 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 who put himself in this position and then furthermore had a son that was able to do something like this to him. Folks, what does that mean as Noah as a parent? Does that mean he was an awful parent? Folks, Ham, this younger son, he was someone that knew what was right. He knew what was right. Noah had told him. He was on the ark with Noah. He saw what happened to everyone else. Ham knew what was right. But he refused it. He could have done the right thing. He could have been the one with the bl- going to get a blanket and covering up his dad. But he didn't. Folks, what we see is that a father, as he raises his children, while he can do what God has asked him to do, his children at the end of the day are still going to have their own choices that they have to make. They are still going to choose to serve God or to reject God. Ham's children had the exact same choice. So Noah, he had some children that, were, that we see they were foolish. They were not wise. Ham was someone that refused it. And we see that Ham, his people, uh, that they could have been people that do these great and wonderful things. But we find out again through the rest of his life that all the people that came from the line of Ham, they ended up having that curse. Uh, 
Sodom and Gomorrah was a place that got wiped out due to homosexuality. All the Canaanites were a people that they got wiped out because of the sin and the uh, idolatry that was within that land that God gave to the Israelites. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the hard things to understand and one of the things that we have to face is this. Sin will more easily follow our family than righteousness will. Sin will more easily follow our family than righteousness will. Because sin is already in every single one of us. You know, it's kind of one of those things where we see the things that our children do, <laughs> and then we have to tell our kids, do what I say, not what I do, right? That's kind of the way it is, because that, that, the bad part of us is already in our children. However, the good stuff, we have to teach them to choose it. And that's a tough thing. That's what ended up happening with Ham. Ham had children. His name was Canaan. And Canaan, he began this, uh, this land known as the Canaanites. And then from then came this land of Sodom and Gomorrah. And sin continued in that family. That's why it's our job to do as much as we can to teach our children as they grow. Sin will follow in a family more quickly than righteousness. And folks, finally at the end of it, we see this. There began to be a family name. There began to be a family name. And we'll end with this thought here as well. Verse number, uh, verse number 26. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. And God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem. He's going to be right there with him. And Canaan shall be his servant. And Noah lived after the flood 350 years, and all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. So folks, yeah, we see there was a curse upon the Canaanites. And that curse ended up playing out. It ended up playing out in their family and what happened with the children. But there was also a blessing of Shem and of Japheth. The Lord was able to bless them. And boy, how their land prospered and how they grew. And how they became such a mighty land that we realize, again, we all came from one of these three people. We don't know necessarily which one it was, but we came from Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Folks, we're all part of the human race. And then we see... That is, we begin to study, and if you ever want to follow the lineage of Christ through the Old Testament, it's an amazing study. All throughout it, God ended up preserving and protecting his people. Folks, God did that. And can I leave us with this one last thought, and we'll be finished with this. Just because someone is maybe part of the family of Canaan, and in this situation, quite literally part of the family of Canaan, that does not mean they don't have the opportunity for righteousness. I want to tell you about a, a lady who was a harlot. The Bible says it was. A lady by the name of Rahab. And you know, Rahab, she was one of these people that, that the Israelites had to defeat when they were going into, into Canaan's land. When, when they were going to the promised land. She lived in a little town called Jericho. Remember the story of how Joshua, how they marched around the land of Jericho? Rahab was part of that land. Very possibly that Rahab came from the family of Canaan, who was part of that curse. You know what Rahab did? She looked at the men of God, who were two spies coming into Jericho. And then she looked at the family of Israel. And then she looked at God's people and said, Your God's got it. I, I, I believe in the God of Israel because I believe God's given you the victory. And, and I want to follow after your God. She made that choice. And the Bible says when Joshua marched around the walls of Jericho in the story we hear about, that the walls, they came crumbling down. The Bible says there was one little section of wall that didn't fall down. And in that wall, 
is where Rahab lived. And in that wall is where her family was as well. And it's amazing. It's almost exactly like the ark. All around it was destruction except for the people in the ark. All around the wall of Jericho was destruction except for the people that were in the house of Rahab. Folks, there will always be a choice. We all will always have a choice to either serve God and do what God has asked us to do and and to follow Him and to seek His forgiveness or to deny that. There will always be that choice. So what did we learn today from from this lesson? While it's one that we think about Noah and we see the low point of his life, folks, we learn basically two things. One, that the decisions we make will often affect even our children, not just ourselves, but at the same time, they still have their own choice that they have to make. And folks, we can secondly, we can learn that even those people that you mean, they, the Lord will call righteous, sometimes they're going to do things that are wrong. Folks, Noah was a man that he was the last man alive. He was perfect. And I would say he, was, he wasn't perfect. He was upright. He was, he was righteous. He wanted to follow the Lord. But, but boy, he still messed up. He still found his way into sin. So let's make sure that when we read the Bible, we don't just see these people as some kind of superhuman beings that had some kind of super spiritual abilities. No, they were people just like you and me. And they had sin just like you and me. And they had to choose to follow God just like you and me. So if we could, let's have every head bowed and we'll have every eye closed. And why don't we do this with our invitation this morning? Why don't we go ahead and even now in our heart of hearts, Why don't we commit that while we know we're not perfect people, why don't we go ahead and make a commitment to the Lord that we will try to do the best that we can? We might pray and tell the Lord that we know we're not perfect, that we know we're going to mess up, we know we're going to do things wrong. But why don't we ask Him for His help and to seek after Him and ask Him to protect us from the sin that may come. Our Father, Lord, we love You. Lord, as we've been looking at the sin that here was within Noah's life and the dysfunction that was within his family, Lord, we learn that even those that you have called righteous in your word, Lord, things weren't always perfect with them either. Lord, help us not to dwell on our failures. You've already forgiven us for them. Help us not to live by our faults. They're already gone. Lord, I pray that we would continue to follow after you and to seek after you in everything that we do. So folks, with every head bowed and with every eye closed, This is just a moment where we give folks to do business with the Lord. Has the Lord dealt with you in your heart on something this morning? Has Satan been beating you up over your faults and your failures? If he has, take it to the Lord. Get that clearing with God and know that when forgiveness has been sought after, that God's forgiven it. It's under the blood. And then we can pick ourselves up and we can keep going forward for the Lord. And let's remember this. Let's remember to be good stewards after our children, after those that are going to come behind us. And in the name and the legacy that we leave behind. We certainly see the legacy of Ham and his children that came through Canaan. While their children have to make their own choices, and while those coming behind us have to make their own choice to serve the Lord, let's do our best to make sure that we leave a godly legacy.
Our Lord and Father, again, we thank you again for giving us another beautiful day. Lord, I'm so glad to be able to open your word and to study through the book of Genesis and see how things came to be as they are. Lord, today we've talked about how we all came from the family of Noah. Lord, I pray that you would help us to, just like Noah did, to, uh, Lord, to not necessarily dwell on, on our faults and our failures, but to remember the victories. And Lord, may we always seek after you. Help us to look for righteousness and to go after it. And Lord, may we leave a godly legacy behind us. As we get ready to go now our separate ways, we ask that you would protect us from sin. Lord, I pray that we would just uh, look for ways to serve you in every area of our life and bring us back here together safely at the next appointed time. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name we ask these things. Amen.